Do you want to, like, go hang out? Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, what do you... What do you want to do? Why, what are we... I was thinking we could go to the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon? Uh, do you have a car? What? I'm talking about, like, going to my room and, like, hanging out there instead of here. Oh. <sighs> like to kiss and have sex? <laughs> um. Is that what you were asking? Uh, I guess so. Do you even know my name? What's your name? Welcome to The Letterbox Show. This episode, we go back to college with Cooper Reif and Dylan Galula. Hi, I'm Gemma Gracewood, the Editor-in-Chief of Letterboxd. In this episode, our London correspondent, Ella Kemp, joins me to go over our festival highlights from the recent fall film festivals, Toronto, New York, London and beyond. And then the stars of Shithouse will join us to talk, what else, movies. Just a note that we recorded this episode before the UK went back into lockdown. Hello. Hello, Gemma. How is it going up there? Are you are you locked down again? Um, we are in kind of a lockdown limbo at the moment. I would say uh, we've all been. It sounds like a party. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I wish, I really wish. I'm I'm really trying to hype it up here. Uh, you know, we we have been locked down. We've been reopened. Uh, there are rumours, could be restrictions, might not be. We're not really sure, really. You know, we're wearing masks, we're washing our hands. Um, just, we're, we're, we're surviving 2020. That's what we're doing. And at the time we're talking, the, the London Film Festival has kicked off. Um, yes. Virtual screenings across the nation, um, but some physical screenings, which is yeah. exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. So uh, it's been mostly virtual screenings online for, well, obviously online uh, for now, which it's quite nice because we have a very specific structure to it. It's all kind of within the same timings as it would be if it was in person screenings. So you really have to log on at the right time. But I found it quite satisfying watching a film on my own at home and they're logging it on Letterboxd and seeing like five of my friends also doing so even if I don't know where they've like where they've watched that film I know that we were all just at London Film Festival watching whichever film it was so that's been really nice yeah I mean because I, I know that you uh you like me we've been getting a lot of our uh, festival screenings as screeners from yeah. um, all the wonderful distributors and PR people that that we're in regular daily contact with but what that means is, uh, you know, it sort of means two things. One, that you've got a limited period of time in which to watch. Um, so you've got to really, you know, get the timing right in terms of time of day. If it's a horror or midnight madness type film versus a, you know, gala presentation. It, like I really find I need to be in the right time of day to suit the feeling of that film, which sounds strange to say. But And then the second thing is that, that, that often these things come, and this is a, uh, this is a complaint that no... Um, non-accredited media film lover is going to want to hear but we get watermarks giant watermarks of our names across these screeners of these film festival level pieces of cinema yeah and it, and yeah so those sort of two things together make it less than ideal and yeah I, I don't know about you but it means that I have to do a lot of work within myself to kind of to overcome those things and create the environment in which to experience this piece of art like there's a lot of uh overcoming current reality in order to give give this beautiful piece of art that a lot of people have worked on over a long time the uh the attention it deserves yeah completely i mean you and i have had conversations when we were kind of watching the same films a few hours apart saying i've got 20 minutes left of this film is it appropriate around bedtime um yes. and it's important to have someone to be able to ask that just to say like like 
is it okay if I feel a little sleepy or like will I genuinely be very upset by it um and I mean all of these things are genuinely really important and actually on (laughs) a bit of a more serious note than that uh I've heard a few people who have been attending these festivals virtually really asking that there should be more trigger warnings on them because this was the case uh, in-person festivals as well that obviously you know so many people and distributors and filmmakers want you to go in blind to to the film and that can be brilliant a lot of the time Mm. but there are a lot of instances where people have been saying you can add a trigger warning like this won't detract from your film this will um make critics (laughs) right it will just you know prepare people in the way that they can be that they can condition themselves in the best way possible to experience this film Mm -hmm. and yeah I guess maybe because it's all virtual we've got more of the tools like on our screen and more immediately to have that like care package and preparation package to go in when we start our screenings like however we want to prepare ourselves to do that. And I mean it's especially important in this year when considerations around mental health are uh, you know doubly triply essential. Yeah yeah. and because a lot of the films that we're seeing at the festivals are very intense and very emotionally draining and brilliant pieces of art because of that but there have been a number of films that I have loved that I have told several people do not watch this because I know for whatever personal circumstances you've told me, like this is not going to be good for you. And we've talked about comfort movies so much this year, but it's so important. And like, we need comfort food alongside our like challenging, emotionally draining festival diet. We need discomfort food also to understand to understand all of the ways in which the world is functioning at the moment, but that needs to come to us in different doses and at different times. And I think, I mean, are we talking about antebellum? <laughs> because uh, there was a film I watched the other day, which is coming out soon, which is actually very, very, very good. But again, it had a um, an element in it of, um, you know, white hoods, KKK turn up in one particular moment where you really don't expect them to Mm. for one character. And it was like, whoa, okay, ah, I thought I was in a really weird, cool sci-fi buddy film and now I'm in the middle of a a slavery scenario for, could be the next minute, it could be the next 30 minutes. I don't know. This is, yeah. And I'm I'm sorry, but I feel like in a year where I have never heard the word unprecedented so many times, it's like, because that is our daily lives like whoever we are whatever we're working here every single individual has been affected by something unprecedented this year it's like I do not need that in the movies like that is the place where I go to to like feel better and you know curate and create my own worlds like give me a trigger warning you do not need to be that unprecedented like 2020's got that covered already I don't need more of that that's just me I don't know (laughs) So then what films have you caught at the recent festivals um, that are able to combat all of these all of these unprecedented <laughs> moments of loneliness and mental ill health and yeah, just general uh, confusion with the world? Well, uh, I think the first film that I want to shout out is the one that I feel like it's one of those films that from the second it was announced, I knew I was like, I'm going to adore this and it is going to to fix everything like for me and for everyone else um and that is david burns american utopia and the reason i say that is because i like many many other people on letterbox and beyond letterbox adored stop making sense and mm-hmm. you know it's and also i came to it quite late like i watched it for the first time a few years ago which obviously is late considering you know the film itself anyway yeah. but american utopia is just like it is stop making sense on steroids it's like as opposed to I mean this is gonna sound really lame but like as opposed to saying stop making sense it's like he's stopped and saying hang on hang on hang on we need to figure out if anything like does make sense and what we do when things don't make sense and like just kind of deconstructing everything and like putting it back together by dancing around on a stage in gray suits and like with no shoes on um I think also because I hadn't seen the show um it was just so magic like it felt so generous to just be like okay you didn't get to see this amazing sellout show that everyone saw so instead you can have a filmed version which looks absolutely incredible where you can see every performer up close and like you have the best seat in the house all the time like you're welcome 
and it was just glorious. Thank you very much. And I even, I thought, I'm not going to cry because, you know, I've seen, I've seen a version of this show before it hit Broadway, heard these songs a million times. I understand David Byrne's shtick. He's amazing. I love him. I know I'm going to love it, but I'm certainly not going to cry. Cry like a baby. (laughs) But only right near the end, there was just this was you it know, one fine day? Perfect catharsis, yeah. And then, and then yeah. through the very last scene, you know, post credits, which I don't really want to talk about because mm. I just think it's this beautiful little surprise that reminds you of the reality of the life of of playmakers, of of theatre makers, with this sort of circular existence, mm-hmm. a life that is built purely in the service of that two hours every night that you're giving something to people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, sure, to make money because it's your career and they're your songs, but really for no other reason than to give this experience to the mm-hmm. people in the room. And, yeah, I think I, I Spike Lee's done a wonderful job of putting us in that room. It's just – it's magic. And I feel like as much as like, – you're right when uh, – the fact that you see how those performers – what happens after the show makes you realize even more how special that two-hour experience is for them because also it entirely connects them with the audience for that moment as if like no one has ever been anywhere else like it doesn't matter where anyone else was beforehand or where they'll be afterwards just for those two hours and it's like and I felt that as well like I watched that film I think I started it it was about 10 30 p.m because obviously we're working on you know we're working on North American time and I'm based in the UK and we get used to this quickly, but like, <laughs> I, 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 I ran into my mum's room and I was like, I was like, you've got to get up now. Like you've got to get up now. Was, we're watching David Burns. And she's like, it's 10 30. I'm not watching David Burns. And I was like, no, 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 you are. And she did. And like, you know, and it just changes everything. Like it was so irrelevant that I had just watched a, another film before that. And like had worked a shift before that. And you know, that we were in a global pandemic before that. It's just like, we sat down and we watched American Utopia and like, and nothing else mattered and that was it yeah and you know what so so Hamilton also came out this year Mm. um another filmed Broadway experience and uh over the last several years we've been seeing more and more and more like the National Theatre um that getting the getting the opportunity to experience uh extraordinary theatre shows in a cinema um, which is not the same as the real thing because the thing about a live show is it is like it is happening right and it's that ephemeral nature of the way it's happening on stage now will never happen this way again, even though the songs are the same or the lines of the play are the same. Having said that, and um there's a sort of holy grail search for directors to be able to take an ephemeral experience and and put it in a bottle and give it to people at another time in another space in another dimension um and you know does that work and how do you make it work and how do you how do you create the conditions for people like you and I to ignore the fact that there are these other people in the front row in in the theater at David Burns American Utopia during the performances that Spike filmed and and not be jealous of them just go it doesn't matter I'm with them I'm with mm. them now and it's, some things work and some things don't the Hamilton film is you know it's it's world class it's really great it's a fantastic record of that show but I don't feel like I'm in the room in the mm. same way that Spike made me feel like I was in the room for David Byrne yeah. for that concert yeah and I don't know what the difference is it's just a magical little difference Mm-hmm. But I you know no, I do know what the difference is. I think I can articulate it. Hamilton is all filmed from the front as if it's the audience watching the whole time. Spike took cameras on stage. After you saw the show, were you thinking there was anything you wanted to change for the filming? Well, this is not my show. This thing is great before I even saw it. It was great. I saw my role is what can I do with the camera? When I saw the show in Boston, that's the one where the camera work came to me mm. sooner than any other thing. I was above in the balcony, so I could see like their patterns that you guys are doing. I said, all right, we're gonna have a camera okay. shooting down <laughs> a Busby Berkeley camera. Spike goes everywhere. He goes up, he goes on the side, he goes through. It feels so dynamic. It feels like, I feel like with American Utopia, what felt different was that 
you were moving in a way that if you were watching from the audience, you wouldn't be moving. It felt like as a viewer of the film, you had a privilege that like no one else has because you are like moving all the way around these performers in a way that just like makes no sense and is like is magic and is magic in a way that only film can be I think is glorious it's absolutely glorious I think another uh, film I've loved out of this festival season and that also focuses uses music as the central tool is uh, Lovers Rock from Steve McQueen's <laughs> upcoming Small Axe series, which uh, screened in the New York Film Festival and is coming to Amazon soon. And ah, oh, this one, eh? Just, oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> it is, it is uh, a film that takes place in the course of one, one day. So one afternoon into night, into the next morning at one house party in London in the West Indian community early 80s yeah really short early 80s yeah and based on his the experiences of his auntie who grew up in quite a religious west indian family busting out of the house climbing out the window to run off to these parties and then be home in time to go to church the next day and when you sort of know that it gives the film even more magic than it already has but it is there's whole blocks of minutes go by without dialogue, but every part of the story is being told through the choice of music, through what the MC at the party is saying, through what the aunties in the kitchen are doing, through the glances that people are throwing each other across the room. And then there's the central scene that, that I think you and I can't get out of our heads. <laughs> oh my God. I think about it, like I miss this scene when I'm not watching it. Like I catch myself at several points during the day. Whatever I'm doing, I can be having a really nice day and I'll just be like, I wish I was watching the silly game scene of Lovers Rock instead. just it's just perfect I rewatched it the other day and it is I'm pretty sure it's about 17 minutes where everything in the world just stands still and you're just watching this party and I feel like when I I've I've been lucky enough to watch it twice the film and when I watched it for the first time I think for the first kind of 15-20 minutes I wasn't really sure what was going on I just thought like all right I'm settling into this I don't really know what is going to happen at this party but what happens is the party itself and it's just like that experience and kind of the like the alchemy of the people and the music and all of the sensations and everything that just like builds and then suddenly you're just in the heat of it and you're like oh all I just have to do is like dance and sing through this and just like go wherever the night goes with it and then it just mm-hmm. it just plays out over this one track and I can guarantee that by the end of this year, uh, you know, we've got two and a half months to go. That song is going to be my most played song on Spotify because whenever it comes on now, it's like, oh, I'm in Lovers Rock again and like everything is fine in my life. Do you think, uh, I mean, the film in and of itself is just pure beauty and joy, but how much of it of our reaction to it also has to do with what Steve McQueen has done before and how very much in his wheelhouse this film is and yet also is so different from what Mm. he's done before and that it just does lean into joy. Yeah, for sure. I think it's it's such an exciting departure because Lover's Rock was the first of the five films that that of small acts that we get that we got to watch at New York Film Festivals. So I had no idea what to expect. And also when they were announced, I thought, oh okay, Steve McQueen's done five short films cute good for him but no 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 these are five <laughs> features nothing wrong with short films but i you know to just drop five features like that it's oh my god like what have you been yeah. doing like what are you drinking um i know yeah like the style is just i think it's so exciting because from his previous films which i love all of them you can see that like he's so stylish and so confident and like knows how to direct and like 
control human beings to just bring out the most intense and like visceral reactions from them Mm. but rarely from his films have I felt a kind of joy that I felt has been welcoming me in to it as well it's like if if the characters are happy it's a very intimate and focused and private thing that's just for them whereas lovers rock to me it feels like this is for you as well and even if you're at home that's okay like you can have this and you can join us as well and I mean, again, like watching it in 2020 when I'm at home on my own, of course it made me more emotional. And like, of course, when I saw people dancing at a house party, I got very upset. <laughs> like, you know, it's bad for me, but good for Lovers Rock because I love it even more. Um, another one that really swept me away and took me by surprise, I guess because I, I knew nothing about it. All I knew was that um, the director, Heidi Ewing, had made Jesus Camp, the documentary, which is which is definitely one of the more extraordinary documentaries out there. But um, it's a film called I Carry You With Me, um, which is a a sweeping, epic romance between two young Mexican men, who um, one of whom is desperate to get out and do bigger, better things for himself and send money home to his family. And so starts talking about uh, crossing over, as they say, crossing over getting getting over the border and getting himself to New York and and then what comes next and I thought oh yeah I'll watch it this sounds you know okay it's it's good it's good to watch movies about the immigrant experience in America especially in an election year it's important and then I started watching it and was just comp- just it's compelling just was absolutely swept up in the in the nature of the storytelling which then towards the end shifts really dramatically in style and leans all the way back into Heidi's experience as a documentary maker and and to the point where I was like is is this suddenly a documentary and it was the first time I realized that this was a story about real people as opposed to a a Brokeback Mountain or a Call Me By Your Name it's like oh and then something in my heart just exploded Mm. wide open I mean, it shouldn't matter that they're real or not, but there's, you know, there's another empathy button that gets pushed really hard at that point, right? And I feel like what's so magic about that film is I think you could have had that moment where you were told that it was based on real people with like a title card or some kind of, you know, some pictures of them at the end or something. But because it shifts like so organically and it does so without a fuss, like you say, like I, I felt a similar experience while watching it. I was just like, what is happening? I thought, am I imagining this? Like, um, have I become so invested in these characters that I've turned them into real people? Because like the style of filmmaking changes, but the, the visuals change so much as well. Like it's, it's gorgeously shot it's all like like it's shot like a sweeping epic romance it's all like very crisp and like quite I don't know it's romantic it's glossy and then suddenly it's not and I was like am I like have did I get tired is this my have I changed like how long have I been with these characters um and it's just I it's so smart I've never seen like kind of docufiction hybrid filmmaking like it that hasn't been trying to make a point of being like look how well we can blend fact and fiction it just did it because it's life classic docu drama where you've got talking heads and then you go into the recreated scenes yeah Yeah. and they could have done that with the story and they didn't that's what I think I love the most about it is they 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 took the story and treated it with Mm. the epic sweeping romance you know cinematography that it deserves um I know from Letterboxd reviews that that decision hasn't paid off for everyone who watches it I guess I understand why but uh I I was just invested from the start and I just think it's a really I love watching anyone try anything new and different and yeah it's so exciting yeah, and then and again because it is twenty twenty, there's a there's another whole layer when you when you get to the end and you realise where these characters are are now and what it is they do, and immediately my brain started going right. So that means in twenty twenty, in terms of their business, these things are happening to them now. Oh my god! And that yeah. and that because we know it's now real adds another layer of gravity to the whole yeah. situation. Yeah, everything they've fought for may not. Yeah. Yeah. And all we have is each other. And uh, yeah, I think there's one more film before we get to our special guests, which is very exciting, Waiting in the Wings, Shiver Baby, which uh, is the Emma Seligman's 
film about a young woman who has to attend a shiv and heads there after hooking up with her sugar daddy only to find that he is also one of the guests at this intimate family event. And so apart from the um, opening scene, the rest of the film takes place in this one Brooklyn house. And it's uh, it's an incredible balance of tension and drama and comedy and just jaw-dropping moments of revelation and and also just classic Jewish mothers. It's so great. How was the funeral? Uh, yeah. Eulogies weren't great. Yeah. You know, do me a favour when I go, make a good speech. Oh, well. uh, you know what? Take the rogalach. Okay, I'll um, take these. Thanks. Follow me. Room. Oh wait, Mum, who died? Oh, darling, who died? Oh, what? <laughs> wait, Mum, what? Who died? I love it so much. It feels like when. I kind of read the one-line synopsis. It it seems very much like a guy walks into a bar set up of a joke and it's like a young Jewish bisexual girl walks into a shiver and her sugar daddy's there. And it's like, yeah. it's the kind of stuff that it's, it's like, how do you make this up? Um, and, and I feel like it could have quite easily like become gimmicky or kitsch or something if Emma Seligman didn't know inside out what she was doing. And like it's yeah. so sharp, and and like she, all of her kind of cartoonish, overbearing Jewish relatives, she's got them spot on because she knows them. And it's like anyone who has ever met a, an overbearing Jewish anyone, and even more so if it's your relative, this is exactly how they behave. And it's just so spot on, but also funny enough and exuberant enough to charm people who haven't met these people, I think, as yeah. well, which is like a really, it's such a skill to be able to get that specificity, but still, even without it, just still be really sharp, really funny, really bizarre and like quite excruciating all the way throughout there's one shot I would uh, this is one of those films where I, I don't think this often you know I usually get to the end of a film and go that was magic I just want to preserve the magic but this was one of those films where I really wanted the script afterwards or or the storyboard or both because of some ex- extremely smart decisions and I'm just thinking about one shot in particular which is a conversation um, between our main character and her mother that goes on for quite some time and the shot is just held and in the background just out of focus is the sugar daddy and a couple of other characters and it's just that just what the daughter and the mother are talking about while this particular person is in the background of the shot just carrying on like you know nothing's really weird here even that you know the decision to shoot it as one as a one I just loved 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 so smart it's so genius like she's so good at framing the inside of this young woman's mind because that specific shot that you describe it's like how many of us haven't been in that situation forced to talk to some kind of like a family member or just a stranger at a party when you can see another person out of the corner of your eye and you're thinking if that person like leaves or moves I will disintegrate while talking Mm. to this other person in front of me. And like to actually film that in one. Yes. My heart just was like (laughs) aching for this character. I thought, oh, like I'm there with you. I don't know this man, but if he moves, oh my God. And also the mother is talking loud enough for him to hear. Oh, of course. She's a Jewish mother. She doesn't care. She's going to say what she has to say. (laughs) She's going to say to her daughter that everything would be fine if she just put a bit of lipstick on. Like, she just has to. So to summarise our recent festival experiences in in these four films, David Byrne's American Utopia, Lovers Rock, I Carry You With Me, Shiver Baby. Um, And I love that balance of... um, two male directors, two female directors, and, you know, there's a lot of representation there. I'm very proud of um, this year's festival programmers. Things are just getting better and better every year. But it seems like the things that have really hit home this year, at least for you and I, are the reminders of what we're missing in 2020, whether through leadership and competence and, you know, the effects of globalization and and all that stuff, but basically through COVID, uh, as gatherings, um, whether it's a college party or a house party or a shiv, the opportunities to meet people, opportunities to fall in love, opportunities to just be together. It's, I guess, ultimately stories about people connecting, right? 
Yeah, completely. All of the films that I really found myself being swept away by and moved to tears by were just things that reminded me of the stuff that I've always loved in movies. And I think the stuff that I've often taken for granted when I'm not watching movies, but when I have had the freedom to, you know, to to move around and meet people and and talk to those new people about movies, like without watching them. And now I guess the only option is to watch them in movies, which, which, you know, take what we can get in 2020. On that note, uh, I think it's time to bring our guests into this episode uh, because they are the stars of a film that is very specifically about human connection. Okay, so you know how like people think squirrels are dumb because like they run out of the street and stuff? Yeah. I read an article one time that said like squirrels are actually really smart because the way you measure intelligence is by how well an animal can like adapt to their surroundings. Do you know what I mean? Was that pointed? It's been an absolute shithouse of a year. I think we can all agree on that. And one that really began to unravel for the film industry when South by Southwest was cancelled. However, the festival, along with many other festivals, have managed to pull a few things from the COVID fire, including its annual awards. And the Grand Jury Prize for Narrative Film went to a college comedy by a first-time filmmaker. And so joining us now, our guests are the stars of that film, Shit House, which is the first feature from actor, writer, director and co-editor Cooper Reif. Cooper plays Alex, a first year college student struggling with homesickness. And just down the dorm hall from him is resident advisor Maggie, played by Dylan Galula. What'd you do with the body? Sorry if that's inconsiderate to ask, but... I throw him away. You what? Like I threw him in the dumpster in the back of Polly. I can't tell if you're being serious right now. What do you mean? You threw him away? Yeah, what else would I have done? You threw Pete away in the dumpster? The Pete who you, your rock in life, Pete? Yeah, I put him in a shoebox. Oh my God, that doesn't make it any better. What? Okay. <laughs> Don't you, didn't you want to bury him? Okay, you need to calm down. <laughs> you can't just throw him away in the dumpster. You can't just get rid of him. What? You're never going to know where his little body ends up. I don't want to know where his little body ends up. Why? Because he's dead. What? Oh, my God. You're a monster. I'm not a monster. Okay, you're not a monster. And you are both here with us. Hello. Hello. Hi. Very, very exciting to have um, at least one letterboxed member among you here. <laughs> Cooper, do you have a secret letterboxed? I don't, but Dylan does. Do you have a letterbox? I got bullied into it because all my friends were like, you have to get a letterboxed. And um, now I have one. I, I need to get one for sure. I'm going to right after this. Send us your handle when you've done it. <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> Who bullied you into it, Dylan? Um, well, I mean, that's, I mean, nobody cares if I'm on Letterboxd. I had like a conversation with like somebody. Um, who told me? Uh, Hari Neff told me to get one. She's on there. She's popular on there. Uh, my friend Demi, he's, he's huge on Letterboxd. Demi at Digibay. Um, yeah. all the, all the stars of Letterboxd are my, are <laughs> Is Dylan huge on Letterboxd? No, like- I'm, okay, look, I'm new on Letterboxd. So, and I'm not like promoting it or anything. I have a small loyal following. Did you give Shithouse a review? No, that's, I would never, I would never do that. It's well, good movie. I, I am in it. Go and watch it. If I get a, if I get a letterbox after this, I'm going to give our movie 10 star. How many stars can I give them? It's 50,000. Yeah, 50,000, but, but mostly five. Yeah. I do okay. know the, uh, a director, Chad Hardigan, who has his favorite movies on letterbox or his own. Amazing. I think that's cool. Yeah, and I just, um, our last podcast episode is with Jim Cummings, who only rates films that he can give five stars to. And every other film he sees, he doesn't doesn't rate. Do you do that too? Yeah, I do that too. Because it feels like, who am I to be like, this is three and a half? You know what I mean? (laughs) if If I don't think, if I can't defend something as five stars, I don't log it. That's my thing. You don't log it. You don't even log it. No, I don't, because I don't want people to know what I'm watching. Like, I mean, I know that's the whole point of Letterboxd. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like it's anyone's business what I'm watching. I'm just 
going to be like, this is really good every, you know, every three weeks. Well, and it, it's it's hard if you're deciding to give only five stars, and you see, and you like, if I saw a a letterbox that was just giving five stars, and I saw that they watched my movie, I'd be like, darn, we did not make yeah. it. If it's either five stars or no stars at all, it means like, oh, they definitely hated it. Right. Yeah. That's uh yeah. So, okay, so that's me. So I've been rating things that I know I can give a definite rating to. And then all the other things that I haven't quite decided about, I don't rate at all. So, oh, no, that's me. That's what Sean Baker does. He'll just say, like, washed on iTunes. But so yeah. Sean Baker, the only rating that he did recently, I, th I think he gave The Florida Project, you know, which he directed, like, one star just to say, oh, by the way, guys, now that I've caught your attention, just to say I'm leaving Letterboxd because, like, I'm making another movie or something. I mean, like, yeah. it works just because it's got everyone's attention yeah wow well the other thing we could do i mean so portrait of a lady on fire went nuts with the letterbox community so instead of stars we decided one friday over beers to change the stars to Amazing. flame yes right yeah. and i was thinking for shit house i mean should it be five turds what do you think it should be five turds yes but <laughs> our, our our i don't want our movie to be that movie because i don't want it to be in the same ballpark as portrait of a lady on fire <laughs> That that it deserves a change in the rating system for sure. How many times have you seen it, and where I've, does it sit for you in your heart? I saw I saw it embarrassing. Like I don't I'm not proud of this, but I saw it five times in theaters, and I spent that much money seeing it in theaters. And then I saw it on Hulu. It's on Hulu, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Hulu. I saw it on Hulu, and it just didn't have the effect. I think it's because it was my sixth watch, maybe. But <laughs> I. I really want to go back and see it in a theater. I am obsessed with that movie. On my Instagram, I say that it's the best movie I've ever seen. Why wouldn't you be proud of seeing it five times and spending that money? You should um, be proud. That's something to be proud of. It's so much money. So much money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay, so I, I mean, I guess that leads into talking. We we don't want to talk about it too much, this absolutely craptastic year that we're having in terms of movies, but... How much do you miss seeing movies in cinemas? I really miss it. Yeah, I actually went, I saw uh, Miranda July's new movie. Don't touch. Huh? Don't touch the table. I've been through tremors a lot smaller than this. It just turns everything electric. It's like zap. Because this is the way the big one starts. The noise, it just keeps building and building and building. This one's not good. The big one will be loud. I mean, if you're lucky, you'll get crushed. And then you you just die right then and there, immediately, a never-ending void. Wow, so, Yolo, <laughs> am I right? Uh, in like at an AMC, and um, that was just uh, it was so nice to be back and like I don't know I miss it so much. Just like being alone in the theater is like there's nothing better. So you must have feelings about opening your first feature film in a year like no other. Yeah, I I feel like Shithouse is a movie that I feel really comfortable with people watching it at home, and I, that feels nice. But yeah, it's just a weird, weird time, more than crazy time for a movie to come out. But I think it, it can be nice because a lot of people have that time to really dive into a movie and meet it where it is. And Shithouse is a movie that wants you to meet it where it is, and it's okay with like existing quietly, I think. So I'm excited for people to watch it on their laptops or at home with their family. I think that's great for the movie. Sam, Sam, you shit yourself. Hmm? Sam, I think you, I think you might still be shitting. Are you pooping right now? No, no, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, you 100% did. No, uh, Let's get you up, okay? Oh, shit. We're gonna go to the shower, okay? And get your pants off. I, no, these are my good pants. These are your what? These are my good pants. I know, I know they're your good pants, but the you, you, you pooped in them. I feel like um, before we go any further, for the purposes of those listening who haven't seen the film yet, we should explain why it's called Shit House. <laughs> <laughs> I, I must admit, I struggled a bit at the. I was like, I'm watching a movie called Shit House. What is this going to be about? But it's that classic thing where college houses get given stupid names, right? Yeah. yeah. And so the shit house in question is. The shithouse in question is like this, uh, it's, so it's really, and I'm not kidding, the school that I went to, Occidental and Eagle Rock in Los Angeles, had a party house called Shithouse, and my freshman year when I heard that, I was like, this is how I feel, this is how I feel about college, it's a shitty home, and I just like, that was where the movie uh, came from, it was just like, I loved my 18 years at home and felt very taken care of, and then I didn't know how to take care of myself at all, and 
the home that I created for myself was absolute shit. And so uh, that's where the title came from. Who here went away to college? Well, I don't know how different it is in England, but I went away just far enough from my parents for it to be like two and a half hours. So it was like, I'm going to do my own thing, but also it's near enough that I can get a bus home when I need to. And it worked out well. Live to tell the tale. <laughs> yeah. Dylan didn't go, right? You didn't go. Oh, I, I dropped out of high school and then moved to Los Angeles to be an actor. So I did not have any sort of safety net or um, institution looking out for me. You had no Maggie down the hall. No, there's no RA if you're just living in an apartment by yourself. <laughs> in the toxic and um, exploitative Hollywood industry. Yeah, there's just adults. <laughs> Yeah. So can we talk about that, you know, this this very specific time that, uh, I mean, what I find so interesting when I watch films like Shithouse and um, and I used to go here, Chris Ray's college film. Have you seen that one? She, I know her as a person. She's so funny and great. I haven't seen her. She's amazing. She's, I love Chris Ray. She's so, so fucking cool. Yeah. And it's, and her film feels, I mean, it's a, it's a 30 something year old returning to her former college to give a talk and ending up hanging out in a version of the shithouse for the duration of her visit. And it just, it's weird that those two films coming out together this year felt like, ah, this is the sort of reinvention of the college film that we've needed after those wildly inappropriate and frankly, rapey 80s college comedies <laughs> like Revenge of the Nerds and and then the weirdly sort of a bit too grown up St. Elmo's Fire. It's like I remember watching that film and going, those people must be 21, right? How are they coming across like mature 35-year-olds? <laughs> it's just so exciting to to watch both of both of these films within a month of each other and go, oh yeah, okay, this this is the experience of this particular part of your life where you're figuring out who you are when you're not with your family who know you the best. Yeah, figuring out who you are outside of the home that you're raised in for 18 years is like the was the jumping off point. And it's just like no one prepares you for how like it, even if you're going down the street, no one tells you how hard it is to fall asleep under that roof, that different roof for the first time. And also no one prepares the parents for like dropping their kids off and having to leave them there. And the like the strength that that like takes to be like the leader in that situation because I think a lot of times the parents like try to hold it together for their kids because their kids are looking at them like is this normal or what's going on here, and then they go and uh, drink a lot for the first year, and but Alex is me trying to I think I'm a lot like both Maggie and Sam and Alex but I think Alex is more me trying to envision what my first year would have been if I had been like this close to the pain of leaving home and growing up. And um, yeah, growing up is so hard. Growing up sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of focus in society on, on raising teenagers. Like that's the kind of, once you get them to the age of 18, that's the Holy Grail you're done. And I, I, I I think from personal experience, 16 to 24 were the most dangerous years of yeah. my life. I'm not 24 yet, but I feel like next year is going to be the most dangerous year of my <laughs> life, especially out of Corona, hopefully, I guess. I mean, I'm yeah. 24. I'd like, look what happened this year. You know, this is, I wonder how it's going to go for you next year. <laughs> it's gone great for now. <laughs> oh my God. It's literally the most dangerous year of our lives. Sorry, this everyone. <laughs> So um, there's a great story involving uh, you tweeting at Jade Duplass um, after you made the, you know, the, the version of Shithouse that, you know, then became Shithouse. Why the Duplass brothers and, and what, what, you know, what's the film that, of theirs that does it for you the most? Togetherness, actually, the show on HBO and just watching his talkbacks that HBO will have them, they, after each episode, they do a little interviews about the episode and... I just love Jay and thinks he like that in the ending of that season. I don't know if you've seen togetherness. I don't know how he convinced HBO to let him do that. And I just think he cares about the right things and um, is just so amazing at, at character and story. And he's just, I've always been obsessed with him. Also, he lived in the neighborhood that my college was in. So I, for that movie, the establishing shots were in that, neighborhood and I knew that he would click on it and see that someone made a movie in his neighborhood and wanted him to see it and that he did do that and so that was really nice and it all just worked out really well and super lucky. After Eleanor and I both saw Shithouse we just 
we just messaged back and forth for about a for a couple of days, didn't we? I remember it was it was a Saturday when I watched it, and I tweeted about it, and I was like, "Oh, this movie's great and everything." And I and Gemma, you'd watched it beforehand, and I thought, "Oh yeah, I'll make a note and I'll email her on Monday so she can have a nice weekend." And you tweeted me, and you were like, "I was surprised you didn't email me." Like I I'm, I was surprised I didn't wake up with an email in my inbox, and I was like, "Oh okay." And it was Saturday <laughs> night here, and I was like, "Ah, here's the things that I want to say about this film." Sometimes you have to, you know. So we did. The conditions under which we we usually see men crying on screen, which is often sort of ironic and comical and and desperate, but not not true. I think that's the first thing that spoke to me about Shit House was, oh, this is real. This is really real. It's funny. I got the note so many times from people watching that I should cut out a lot of the crying because I think I think there are males crying sometimes in movies, but it's always that like the climax where all the emotion comes out and but Alex cries a, a ton throughout the whole movie and uh, he's just a crier and I always pushed back on those notes because I saw the there was a progression of like he's crying by himself uh, for those first few times and then in that last big scene he's finally kind of being truly vulnerable with his uh, mom and sister and like communicating his sadness but yeah I mean I even got notes from like people that I love so much saying like way too many tears way too many tears here but uh that's just who i envisioned alex being was like someone who gets on the phone and tries to find some comfort with his mom but is not able to tell her the truth so he hangs up and just sobs his eyes out because that that is how freshman year felt for me is like hiding that but i mean those tears were there as a filmmaker early in your career how do you choose to ignore those notes with the full confidence of someone who knows exactly what he's doing um, I, uh, well, it wasn't necessarily Jay. Did I say that it was Jay? No, I, was it Jay? I, no, 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 no. Was no, it Jay? No. Um, the crying, I, man. <laughs> no, I don't know. I just felt like that was like one of the main things that I cared about. Like, I, I always am super receptive to notes. Like, I'm not, I don't see myself as like a stubborn uh, filmmaker or anything, but I really cared about that being the journey, not the journey being like all of a sudden he cries at the end. Cause I mean, I could have tried it. And I think that even when I, if I showed that to, version to those people who gave me those notes, I think they'd probably say the same thing. So I just kind of tried to shut it down without having, so I, so I didn't have to do all that work. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do think that it was always going to end up being a, a very teary movie throughout. I love that, that Alex's emotion is offset by this kind of built up staunchness in Maggie, this kind of exterior that's masking what's really going on. And what did you what did you respond to when Cooper first brought Maggie to you? Uh, it's always fun for an actor when the plot of the movie hinges on on two different personalities. You know, a lot of times movies are about uh, a a chase, a heist, or whatever. But like, it's fun when movies are about characters for actors. Shithouse hates plots. We hate plots. <laughs> <laughs> what are your favorite walk and talk films? I just saw um, the Hong Sang Soo movie, uh, Right Now, Wrong Then, uh, without giving any, that movie's amazing, but they're drunk and walking around for most of the movie. What was it that you loved the most? Well, the, that's actually really interesting narratively because what he does is like halfway through the movie, the movie just starts over and they meet again. So it's like two romantic comedies, just two different ways them meeting could have gone. Um, and it's it's a great movie. It came out in like 2015. That is the third time someone said that and I've failed so far to watch it. So yeah, straight to the watch list. About you, Coops? Coops? I call you Coops uh, now. Yes, I love Coops. <laughs> um, I, 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 is Lost in Translation a walk and talk movie? I think it is kind of. It's like a laying in bed talking movie. Um, <laughs> There's the talking I, part of it. Yeah. I, uh, I... Uh, love Lost in Translation. That's like Sofia Coppola's uh, conversations. That the, those conversations I really love. Have you seen? It's. I mean, it's only just aired. But did you manage to catch her new one? I did. Yes, and I loved it. The last scene. I've never cried so hard. <laughs> Have y'all seen it? I've seen it. Yeah. That last scene. I mean. Good Lord. Yeah, we could talk about that movie forever. <laughs> that, it's that line, isn't it? I mean, we shouldn't say it because spoilers, but there's one single yeah. line. I know what you're talking about. 
Yeah. Which one? Yeah. Wait, say it. We'll text, we'll text it. We'll text okay. it. Yeah, we'll text it. All right. There's the waves and the ocean. I just remember like the conversation as a whole and just like nodding along and being very aware <laughs> that the person sat next to me was crying. And like what was in my mind was like, I'm going to ask this person after film if they were crying the whole way throughout. And they were. Um, so, yeah. So I can just remember like the conversation as a whole. So I need well, to know what that line is. Yeah, we'll okay. text it. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Cool. Okay, so that's the last film that made you cry because that was going to be one of our questions. What is the last film that you absolutely just lost it like a baby? I just rewatched uh, Love on the Spectrum on Netflix like last night. Like not the whole thing, but just an episode that I really love. And I, I mean, that show makes me sob like no other. So that's the last thing. But I also rewatch Normal People all the time, episode five. Oh. Episode did you five, say... Sorry, did you say you rewatch normal people all the time? Uh, no, no, no. I rewatched the no. So I was talking about Love on the Spectrum, but normal people. I I rewatch episode five all the time because I think episode five of Normal People is the best episode of all time that I've ever seen on TV. Now I need to know which which episode that is. It's not the uh, it's not the therapy episode. Okay. Uh, no, it's one scene is like the party where Marianne comes upstairs. Frank okay. Ocean is playing in the background. What is the film that got you both hooked on filmmaking? Like Dylan, was there a film that made you go, I'm, I'm dropping out of school and moving to LA? No, I don't think I got like fully artistically interested in acting until I was already doing it. I think that it was just like something I was good at that people praised me for and I thought it was fun. But I don't think I realized like, oh, this is my only mode of expressing myself until I was like an adult. So when you asked me that, I thought like on it's like kind of almost sad, but maybe like when I was like 23, I saw um, Vanya on 42nd Street and that Wallace Shawn, how, how not pretentious he is meant so much to me. And just like, <laughs> like what I'm doing, somebody else is, is doing the same thing way better. And I do have something to work toward and it is valued somewhere. And it meant a lot to me. I just love Wallace Shawn so much. Oh my God, he's my favorite actor. Just on every level, he's a he's a great actor. He's a great writer. His plays are beyond. Yeah, and his essays and his political writing and stuff is he's so smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a what a wonderful uh, I guess icon sort of to have in your wheelhouse of people to aim for, and yeah. and quite one out of the box too. What about you, Cooper? I was going to say uh, the first memory that I have of being affected by a movie was just, I don't know if this screwed up because I haven't seen it in so long, but it was Bridge to Terabithia, like Josh Hutcherson doing his thing. I was uh, very moved by that. I remember being very moved by that so long ago. And then also a movie that I still rewatch all the time uh, is 13 Going on 30. Like that, for some reason, that movie always just stays with me so hard. You're like the girl from 13 Going on 30. Jennifer Garner? No, I'm talking about the movie 13 Going Around 30. There's like the girl with like the little house. Yeah, that's Jennifer Garner. You're talking about Jennifer Garner right now. She's the, she was awesome in that movie. That's oh, the Jennifer Garner, Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God. It's yeah. like, it's, it's my secret favorite comfort movie. It really is just like, it's truly great in a big way. Yeah. Uh, not only am I never disappointed by it, but I'm always just like so emotionally fulfilled when the credits roll. It's such a great movie. You are like the girl that Jen whoever is playing. That's Jennifer Garner. Okay. Jennifer Garner is her name. Okay, the girl that made a wish that she could be older and then she woke up in the body of a 30-year-old but she didn't know how to be an adult because she was actually 13. I know the plot, Maggie. I'm aware of the plot. Trying to say, like, you are not actually 13. You don't get to just turn back into a teenager when you need a hug from your mom to get through the day, okay? You have to just be an adult. There's nothing wrong with needing hugs to get you through the day. Wow. That is, yeah, that's wild. Love it. Um, and what is your, um, I want to ask, because animation is on my mind at the moment, because I think one of the best films coming out this year is coming out in a couple of weeks. It's called Wolf Walkers. It's by Cartoon Saloon, and I'll talk about it till the, till the cows come home. But um, what would be your favorite animated film of all time? My favorite animated, I was just thinking, I'm on an animation kick as well. And I'm watching a lot of Satoshi Kon movies and they're so cool and they're so great. Like I just saw Perfect Blue for the first time and then I watched Millennium Actress and I just watched Paprika and I'm going to watch Paranoia Agent. Like this dude makes the coolest fucking movies uh, and I just hadn't heard of him at all. Um, so if you are, so anyway, yeah, so I'm watching anime now is the truth. 
Again, Paprika's been on my watch list forever. I'm going to get in so much trouble for not having seen it. Have you seen it, Ella? I haven't, no. And like so many of my best friends are obsessed with anime. And it just means that I spend about 60% of our conversations nodding and not really understanding. And like, I know that I need to just do it and like commit. I would say start with Perfect Blue because it's like dip your toes in because it's a little more linear. But um, they're so cool. This guy is... Mm special they're really cool and i i've never i'm not an anime person well you weren't before no and i couldn't i i don't know as somebody who likes anime but i think i do like anime ella yeah all right i'm sold that's it yeah that's me too doing. me too i'm gonna wait perfect blue, perfect blue. yeah i'm gonna watch it tonight we should just pause this go watch it come back talk about yeah. it <laughs> yeah <laughs> and um and cooper animation go i don't have a cool answer at all i don't know i i like uh, uh inside out <laughs> uh, there's um, nothing wrong with liking inside out <laughs> there's a lot of crying there's a, a lot, lot of crying yeah. yeah that what's the character's name the the imaginary friend bing bong we did it we bing bong bing bong bing bong bing bong yeah are you gonna cry are you gonna cry talking about bing bong because if you do mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you a prize <laughs> no no i'm not going to take her to the moon for me okay but I did cry a lot in that theater for sure. I thought that was a great movie, uh, and I saw it in a theater with I think maybe I saw it with my mom, and it was just like a nice, it's a great experience that I treasure. I feel like you would love Don Hertzfeld's films. Have you seen any of them? It's such a beautiful day, and World of Tomorrow. Yes, I have definitely. Like the, the, his movies do uh, leave me uh, feeling a bit scared. Like I. I do get some anxiety after I watch those movies. He's he's so, I think I would appreciate it more as a 30 year old who's more comfortable with the pain of the world. But he, uh, I really, really love that movie so much, but I tried, I haven't watched it in so long. And I, when I watch it, I get, um, it's like smoking weed for me. It's like, I get so in my head and like, oh, I don't like it at all. <laughs> That's your letterbox review. Yeah. <laughs> What um what is the last film that utterly swept you away? I have an answer. The Powell and Presenger movie, The Red Shoes. Amazing movie. Wow. I mean, I think that's the purest experience of being swept away that I've ever had. There's one sequence in that movie that I don't I didn't know what was gonna happen going into it that I don't want to spoil. That um was like, you know how they say, like, movies are an experience in time? Like, I actually cannot believe it was 17 minutes long because it felt like a minute and a half. Like, I was just taken some, to another place. Um, that movie, it, that's, that was so cool. What's it called, do you say? The Red Shoes. It's, it's, a, it's a big one. It's a classic. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, that sequence in that movie? Like, you can't talk about it. It's, I don't, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a hard one, isn't it? Because it's sort of, like, we should talk about it. But at the same time, if, if anyone listening hasn't seen it, just watch the red shoes and then we'll all like, come back and talk about it like me yeah yes <laughs> yeah 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 and but we also i think uh we were spying on your diary and you saw the umbrellas of sherbog recently oh, I did did that not sweep you away um i no it was, it was great it was beautiful that, that actually i found myself i was surprised at how moved i was at the end because i didn't mm. feel particularly emotionally involved in the characters and then at the end i was i was crying I found it was the music with that film. Like, I think because I'd seen The Young Girls of Rochefort, like, soon after as well. And I felt like that one, the style of the musical is just, like, very intense and a bit jarring. But I feel like with Sherbal, by the time you get to the end of it, just, like, that music is so sad and you've got to know it so well that by the end it's like, oh, God. Like, it just really, like, gets inside you in, like, a nice way, but very upsetting. Yeah. How do you keep yourselves together in this year I mean it's it's such a pandemic brain is such a crazy thing right because you sort of we we've all arrived at the fact of the pandemic at, at different points so you you know I don't know about you but I've had friends who took a few more months than me to get used to this idea and so uh, that the the points of paranoia and then the points of anger and then the points of frustration and and then the point of sort of I guess acceptance and then another and then another point of frustration because once you reach acceptance but it's still not over where do you go from there um and I know and I do know that for me movies have been a um 
you know, quite a good escape films, the sorts of films we're talking about. But um, what are some of the other ways you've been keeping yourselves together in this year? Reading too, I guess, for me, and just in writing some. Um, that's how I've like stayed uh, together. But also I, uh, I've realized in doses, social media is like making me feel uh, good. I know it's crazy to say, but I, uh, it, it's making me feel really like connected to the fact that I, like people are being very open about how hard their lives are and um, it makes me feel way less alone. It's really lovely to hear because uh, there's a lot of talk about that documentary, The Social Dilemma, as there should be. Oh, yeah. You know, but hey, Letterboxd is a social network, so we, we do have to think seriously about our role in people's well-being. So it's nice, it is nice to hear that there is some, if you, if you use social media in the right way, there's some comfort to be found there. Well, also, there's this, I watched that movie, and it does sometimes forget, like, it, it, it slices it in half, like, it calls online world different than real world and that's i don't that makes zero sense to me and so i don't understand why there's that binary because the real world is part of that and i don't because like it's that movie says so many amazing things about like how we're being manipulated and i don't and like obviously like the they use this metaphor of like how bikes i don't know if you remember that part like they're talking about bikes and how bikes are not harmful but like social media is and that was i thought that was really uh telling and it made me think so much about how truly manipulative like certain things are but i hate when people are like oh i'm addicted to communicating it's like sure for sure <laughs> that documentary was a bit straight I, I watched it a couple of days ago and i found it like really interesting and would say to everyone like watch it but then I went on Twitter and someone linked me to a thread where someone was saying, like, dispelling the bicycle thing. And they were saying, actually, when bicycles were invented, people went insane. And, like, there actually was this hysteria around it. And they were like, these contraptions are, like, going to change everything and take over our streets and our lives. And, like, yeah, it was quite strange to then, like, having seen this documentary about like how harmful social media is to then go on social media and someone to be like actually that thing they said in the film about a non-social media platform is like wrong and like there's actually all of this history and all these strange facts and that shows you like here is a good thing that I have learned that someone told me on social media so it's right <laughs> all of these things are trying to say in documentary it's like no I just learned something about your film because someone else on the internet told me about it yeah, there was so much fear of bicycles also because women loved them. Yeah. And women, and women jumped on bikes. Women love social media. Yeah. They love Instagram. Yes. Just love those likes. There's so many people who I just love reading their social media pages because I learned so much about them. And I feel like there's something in our human connection that will just like, I mean, obviously never get to a certain place. So I just love stalking people on their social media, especially like people like, Dylan, your Twitter is awesome. And, um, yeah. but your Twitter is awesome. Yeah. Also, like, when books were a thing, I'm sure people were like, get out of, get your head out of your, those books. And now we're like, get your head out of your phones and get your head in a book. It's a crazy conversation sometimes that doesn't make any sense to me a lot of the time. Cause, like, even when you're at lunch and you get a text that, like, you're uh, from your grandma and you're, and they're like, don't look at your phone. It's like, okay, well, what if my grandma's like, it's just, I, I don't know. But in the same way that if someone taps you on the shoulder when you're in the middle of a conversation, yes, that can be rude for a second. I understand that. But like, it's the same thing. And I don't, because it's on a phone, I just don't like the, the dialogue sometimes. I wish it would uh, just talk about the way that uh, we get those dings. I, I hate that. Like Instagram is keeps saying, hey, this person follows this person, follows this person. Do you want to follow them? I'm like, I don't need this notification. Like those things yeah. need to go for sure. Like as long as we turn notifications off, like... Ultimately, right. in in 2020, I feel like I need social media. Otherwise, it's just like me at home with my cat, and like like that's much more unhealthy than me like going on Twitter to talk to people. At least yeah. you have a cat. I'm not allowed I a know, cat in I'm my sorry. house. Sorry. Oh god, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Is someone allergic? Yeah, me. Oh, oh no, no. <laughs> really sad. Oh god. <laughs> yeah. So you have like, to be on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I have to be on Twitter because I don't have a cat. So, yeah. you know, bottom line. Anyway, um, I know that you. Uh, we have to wrap this up in a minute. So I want to ask uh, 
And it's a sort of chance to, I guess, shout out to uh, fellow filmmakers, other friends who are doing something creative at this time. When we're done with watching Shithouse, because everybody will watch Shithouse, uh, who should we watch next? Shiva Baby, Emma Seligman. Do you guys have to watch that? Um, and that just got... so good. Yeah, it's oh, so God. great. So Mubi bought the international rights for the UK and Europe, yes. which we're all extremely excited about over here. Yes. This is very good news. It's coming soon, and that's the next thing you should watch. That's my answer. Over to you, Dylan. Oh, God. Um, watch, watch some TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> well, what have you got coming next? Dylan just started a podcast. Everyone should listen to Lecture Hall. I do. I have my friend and I have a podcast on Patreon. Um yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm like writing and acting and stuff, and then something will come out, and then other things won't. But I don't have it. There's nothing. There's nothing that I can uh, talk about yet. But things are finally happening, which is which. If you were talking a month ago, I would say I don't know. So that's good. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Again, it's like from month to month this year is insane. But one thing we do have is we have shit house. It's out. It's as of this podcast. It's out. You can watch it. You can rent it on video demand. On demand, you won the South by Southwest award despite not getting to the festival, which is must have been a sweet reward for you know. I mean, a festival that so many filmmakers aim to attend and be in and fight their way down Sixth Street to be at that premiere, right? We finished the movie like two days before we found out that it got canceled, so I didn't have that time to like dream up what it could have been. And I've never been to a film festival, so. It wasn't that crushing at all, honestly. And everything that's happened and like people being so kind and wrapping their arms around the movies that were affected or like lost their big chance has been so awesome. And I feel so grateful every day. That's an extremely optimistic note to end on. Thank you both so much for being with us. And Thank um, you. Dylan, Dylan, we will we'll keep following your five-star adventures. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for creating the opportunity for me to do that. Ah, oh, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks both. Thank you. That's our show. Huge thanks to Cooper Rife and Dylan Galula for being on the Letterbox show. And thanks also, hello London, to my co-host Ella Kemp. Thank you for having me. Shithouse is out now on video on demand. This podcast is recorded in Los Angeles, London and Auckland and edited by Morgan Avery. The music is Hitchcock by the Phoenix Foundation and our podcast artwork is by Anne Davenport. You'll find links for all the films we mentioned in the podcast description. Make good choices, call your mum, get some sleep. I honestly kind of feel a little bit responsible. Why? I just didn't say anything after you, like... Probably took like 12 shots. 12? 12 shots? Yeah, I remember you kept taking, you would take one shot and then you would take another and be like, and one to grow on. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, like an extra birthday candle. <laughs> yeah, except it ended up being like six to grow on. God damn, I gotta stop drinking so much. What day is it? <laughs>